Hi, welcome back. This is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. And uh, I'm sitting here with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're going to talk about elder law issues today, just like we do once a week on this podcast. Elizabeth, uh, I want to talk about bonds because I think there's a lot of confusion. Um, When we write a will, we normally have a provision in the will that says, my personal representative will not have to post a bond. When we do a conservatorship, uh, the, 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 the state law in Arizona requires a bond for anybody who manages another person's money through the courts in that way. But what is this bond thing? What does it mean? Does that mean that if I have to post a bond, I have to put cash in an account somewhere? No, Robert. Actually, when I think about bonds, I think about dog the bounty hunter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not bail bonds we're talking about. (laughs) No, but it's a similar concept, right? Except that our bond salesperson is not dog the bounty hunter. (laughs) Correct. But the idea here is you don't want to have somebody who is in charge of assets run away with them. And the idea is that if somebody who is the personal representative, also known in some states as the executor, is managing the funds of the estate and starts to embezzle money, misappropriate funds in some way, and the devisees of the estate, the heirs, may say, hold on, where did all that money go? If that person, if the personal representative has been appointed through the court and there was a bond that was required, there's a some security for the heirs to be able to get funds back. So the idea of the bond is, the bonding company, and the bonding company is just an insurance company. So the insurance company will pay the money back to the estate, and then they'll turn and chase the personal representative. That's the basic idea. But Elizabeth, we waive bonds in almost all the wills we write. Why why not have that protection? Because they're usually unnecessary. What we find is we find families are comfortable. Somebody says, you know, I'm very comfortable having my spouse manage my estate as my personal representative. I really don't want him or her to to need to post a bond. I, I just don't feel that that's necessary. The same may apply for a child, a loved one, or somebody who's special in the testator's eyes. I think the other thing about posting bonds in estate administrations is Oftentimes it's another administrative expense that the heirs of the estate just don't think is needed. And they're really not, I would say that they're really not interested in adding another layer of protection if the court is already overseeing the administration of the estate. So keep in mind that even if everybody waives bond or bond is not required under the terms of the will, if there's a probate, the court is still going to be involved overseeing things. And sometimes heirs just decide they don't want an extra administrative expense, which would be the bond premium. So there are very few, as a, as a result of all that, there are very few probate cases in Arizona, at least, where a bond ends up being posted, required and posted. They're not unheard of, but they're pretty uncommon. On the other hand, conservatorship, where uh, somebody has been appointed to manage the money of somebody who needs protection, somebody who has a, a, a mental or emotional or psychological limitation so that they can't ma- manage their own funds, those always have bonds. Why the difference? That's a really good question, Robert. Well, I would say one of the things 
that makes it different in that case is there's an ongoing management role for the conservator. So it's very unusual to have a conservator who might be appointed for a period of a month, even in a temporary conservatorship. It's usually an ongoing matter where funds are gonna be handled for a long time and they might be invested. We might be talking about other assets too, Robert, that go into determining a bond, like the value of somebody's home um, the value of somebody's car. These are the kinds of things that the bond is based upon in a conservatorship. And so unless an asset is restricted, meaning the conservator cannot have access to it or manage it in the way that you or I might manage our normal checking account, um, the bond is required by the court. And so again, you have administrative expenses related to the bond, like the bond premium, and it is another layer of protection for the protected person the person whose assets the conservator is managing. But I would tell you it's it's really a different, usually these administrations have a whole different ongoing purpose because the protected person's alive. And not only alive, but also by definition, unable to oversee the management of their own money. So the accounting in a conservatorship case is going to a person who has been determined by the court to not be able to deal with an accounting. Uh, or not deal with it very well, at least. So, so uh, it's harder to get past the the fundamental requirement of having having a bond. Of course, the bottom line is the Arizona law says a bond must be posted in conservatorship cases. In probate cases, it says a bond is required unless it's waived by the will or waived by the the all of the heirs and devisees. So. Um, there isn't a waiver provision in the conservatorship law the same way there is in the probate law. And that's why we have bonds in virtually every conservatorship case and most often in cases where the court has allowed us to establish a trust using a conservatorship as the, as the gateway to setting up, for instance, a special needs trust. So bonds are something that people need to know exist. They offer protection in these contexts. I would also tell folks who are concerned about the administrative costs of a $2 million bond, the administrative cost of the bond premium is not outrageous. But it will it be is, several thousand dollars. Right. But it is an ongoing expense of the administration, and it's something to keep in mind. The other thing, Robert, that I just want our listeners to note about bonds is that oftentimes we find people who want to serve as conservator who are very well-meaning, who may have a great set of skills to do the work, they're not able to post a bond because of the size of bond that's required and and that person's credit. And the, and the insurance company that issues the bond is going to underwrite it just like they underwrite your life insurance or your home insurance. They try to figure out whether they think there might be a loss. And in general, they tend to think that, um, that, that, that well-meaning people who aren't in this professionally might not be as good a risk. So sometimes it's hard to get a bond at all at any price. Well, I just wanted to kind of explain a little bit about bonds because they cause a lot of confusion for our clients when they're acting as conservator or when they're writing their wills or, uh, or when they're administering uh, an estate for a, a deceased family member. It's a... It's a an odd little side corner of, of our, uh, our workspace. And that's exactly what we like to cover here on Elder Law Issues. You've been listening to me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. 
We are two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. You've been listening to Elder Law Issues, and we hope you'll keep doing that because we like talking to you.